Amen. That never gets old, does it? Hey, we are addicted to life change in here, not because we can change anything, but because God, and he's the only one that deserves the glory, that he changes lives. That's why we show those baptism videos, because that's us. That's our story over and over and over and over. There are people that say, and I was lost, and now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And when we show that, then we celebrate that. Amen, church? Hey, uh, I've been out of town for a couple of weeks um, preaching the gospel at a couple of youth camps. Uh, One was in South Padre Island, Texas. And one was in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and nobody needs Jesus more than Texas and South Carolina, you know what I'm saying? But now, there's no other place I would rather be than right here at our church, the Church of 1122, this morning to be preaching to you, so it's good to be back. Nothing says love like spattering applause for me to be back, so I knew that was going to happen. If you got your Bibles, open them to Ephesians. We are in uh, I don't, week four of this series called Love Incorruptible. It's a study through the book of Ephesians. We're trying to cover a lot of material in a short amount of time because I want you to be able to palm the book of Ephesians. That, that's what I want you to be able to do. So you're going to be able to look at all of chapter 3 and the first half of chapter 4 and just understand that that is about the church. So the first half of the book of Ephesians is the gospel. The second half, the implications of the gospel. And so today we're going to get into the implications of the gospel in your life. And the gospel has implications on your individual role in the greater church. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I do want to ask you a question, a rhetorical one. Don't answer me, okay? What do you think of when you think church? Like when you think church, what pops into your mind? I, and, and I bet and I bet if you were to ask Jacksonville, if you were to ask our city, what do you think of when you think church? They would say things like a building, which is really a shame. That's not what the word originally meant. Or um, judgmental, closed-minded. Most people, sad to say, most people in Jacksonville would say, actually, I've been to one of those and I'm not going back because of my bad church experience there. The the thing that's crazy is that when Jesus said, um, upon this rock I will build my church, the word he used there for church was ecclesia. Ecclesia means movement of called out people. That's what it means, okay, movement. And then in about three, four hundred A.D., um, they, they quit using the word movement or ecclesia, and they use this, what would be German, they use this German word, kirche, which means uh, uh, the Lord's house. And this movement of proclaiming Jesus to the ends of the earth became a, a place that you go. And so today, if you just say church to people, what do you think about church? It's typically not positive, is it? It's usually about judgmentalism or I'm not good enough or elitism or something like that. Um, I, I, I wonder what people in our city would say, what do you think about the church of 1122? Most people would say, I thought it was like a surf company, you know, because I've seen a bazillion bumper stickers. I met the Salt Life guy a couple months ago. He bumped into me and just said, you know, the guy that makes all those stickers and shirts and all that stuff. And he goes, you're the 1122 guy? I go, yeah. He goes, you got more stickers than I do. I, go, I don't even know how that happens, okay? As we're not in the sticker business, but we hand them out. Um, so I wonder what people would say about our church. Can I just tell you, here's what I hope they would say. I would hope they would just go, oh, that church is awesome. That church is for all people. That church serves our community. That church is for, it. no matter who you've been, who you are, or what you've done, or where you've been, or what you believe, or any of that, man, that, that, sure is, that, that place will welcome you in. That's what I, I hope people would say about our church. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what, what I'm going to try to do today. Today, we're going to talk about the gospel, its implications of the local church, and I am going to try to not convince you, just try to paint a picture in case you want to hop in with me for you to become a covenant member of our church. A covenant, for somebody that signs a covenant, means they take responsibility for something. And so for some of you that you would say, you know what, I want to, I want to become an owner of the mission and vision and values of this church. I want to partner with me and the staff and the elders and the deacons of this church to help make sure this church always stays a church 
for, for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles, hopefully you're in Ephesians by now. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. In all of chapter 3, God's going to talk about his plan for the church, the universal church and the local church. And then in 4, he's going to shift gears and talk about your role in a local church. We've got a lot to do. It only took me about an hour and a half to get through it at the first service. So here we go. All right. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, and the reason is what Pastor Ryan preached on last week. The reason, for this reason, and the reason is that Jesus Christ came to those who are far and near to make peace between you and God. So for that reason, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, when we hear Gentiles, we don't even think about what that means. But when the first century heard Gentiles, a Gentile was just a non-Jewish person. But in our context, essentially what it means is this, is that Jesus came from his throne in heaven down to this earth. For who? He came for the Jews and the Gentiles. He came for people that were religious and knew a lot about church and knew a lot about God already. And for ordinary average people like me and you that were far from God. So if you're not a church person, I've got good news for you that the gospel is for you. And I've got scary news for you too, that, you know, I wasn't a church person either. I didn't grow up in church, right? Um, I I got saved, radically saved at a camp. Somebody explained the gospel very clearly at a camp and it made sense to me and I surrendered my life to Jesus and then I went to church and it was just some weird stuff. You know, I went to one church and a guy had on a robe and I was like, oh, you know, last time I saw a guy in a robe, it was not good for me. It was a guy with a black robe, big desk, not awesome, okay? And so, (laughs) didn't love that, Uh, right? You with me? And then, like, you know, we were told to sit in a pew. See, where I was from, you wanted to avoid pew. You didn't want to sit in it. That was a different word. It was just the music wasn't the same as what I was used to. It was just different. It was just totally different. And so, yeah, I found out that that the gospel was even for me, a kid that was far away from church. And so what Paul is saying, a prisoner for Christ, on behalf of all of us that are far from God, verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace... That was given to me, verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. If you were here last year in Acts chapter 9, you remember Paul. Paul was, at that point, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he was a religious, he was a Pharisee, all right? That means he was like a super religious do-gooder. So if you think you're good, he's better than you. And yet, he was a religious terrorist, so he killed Christians. That's what he did. And so if you think you're bad, he's worse than you. And so when Christ saved him on the road to Damascus then the good news for all of us is, whether you're religious or rebellious, we all need Jesus. You don't need to just try harder. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. And so Paul gets that, and he's saying, when I was on the road to Damascus, this mystery of how I can have a right relationship with God was made known, verse 4. And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to, this holy, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6. This mystery is, this is good news for us. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You know what this means? That the gospel is for all people. Are you sure? Even for me? But you don't know what I've done. Yeah, but I know what Jesus did on the cross. And what Jesus did on the cross, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave made it possible for even you, no matter how bad you think you are. And and I don't even mean like you used to be. I mean, you're still a little hungover from last night. Even you. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, how did he know? All right, I know everything. Pastors.com, it's all there, all right? So you, I'm telling you, you are in the right place. You mean lightning's not going to strike me when I walk in? No, it's really, really not. 
that this place is like a, like a hospital. It's like a waiting room. You ever go to the ER waiting room? It's awful, isn't it? That's our church. That's what it's like. A bunch of beat up, broken people that need help. If you don't think you need help, then you don't need to be here because I promise you, you, you don't understand the reality of our situation. And so what this means is that all people, all people, when Jesus died on the cross, it counted for you. Not just the person that's got their life all together sitting next to you because guess what their reality is? They don't have it all together either. They just look like it because they're at church on a Sunday morning, okay? You understand? I mean, we're all liars in here this morning. When people ask you, how you doing? I'm doing fine. You ain't fine. Your life's a wreck. It's a total wreck, right? Or if it's not right now, it just was or it's about to be. I mean, it's all a train wreck. It really, really is. It just is. And so the good news is, is that the gospel is for all people. That's why you're going to hear this a hundred million times today. This church, the Church of 1122, is a movement. It's not a building. It's not a kirche. It's not the Lord's house. It's a movement for all people, all kind of people, all colored people, all socioeconomic classes, um, tattooed, non-tattooed, hair, no hair, whatever, whatever, all people. Whether you grew up in church, didn't grow up in church, whatever. Good people, bad people, all people. Just to do two things, to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you, for the very first time, are going to discover this truth. God doesn't hate you. He actually loves you. And he loves you so much that he purchased you and he wants you to be adopted into his family. And you go, yeah, but what about? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what about. That's how much he loves you. And he doesn't just want to save you, convert you, make you a church person, and then just say, all right, now hang in there till heaven. But he actually wants to give you abundant life as you deepen, deepen, deepen your relationship with him. So what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus is this is a movement for all people. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. In other words, Paul says this was God's idea, not mine. I feel the same way. Verse 8. To me... Listen to this little phrase. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you know why Paul could write that? That he was the least of all the saints? you know why? Because I wasn't born yet. That's why he could say that. I'm telling you all. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This is how I feel every week. Every single week. Particularly Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. Honest to goodness. Every single time I stand up here and open this book, and I just want to thank you for the way you listen. I wish you could see your faces the way I see your faces. I say, all right, if you've got your Bibles, open up, and y'all go. And just, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And that you attend and you would bring people, I really appreciate it. But I am telling you, every single week before I walk out here, I get these little whispers. I do. Every single week I get these little whispers. You don't have what it takes. If they really find out who you are and what you've done and the thoughts in your mind, and I don't have any kind of secret skeletons in my closet right now. I promise I don't have any unrepentant sin or something I'm trying to hide. I really don't. But I've got things in my past, and I've got current thoughts. If you could get in here, you would not let me be your pastor. I just promise you, you wouldn't. So let me just ask you, anybody else hear those voices? Anybody else struggle with that sin? Okay, okay, look around, look around, just so you don't feel alone. Hey, check it out. Me too. Me too. And as much as it freaks me out, and I'm the leader of this joint, okay? So follow me. Ah. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And so what I have to do every single week is identify that is not the voice of the Father. Because therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. Notice I didn't have to look it up. You need to memorize that. So when the enemy tells you you don't have what, what it takes, you go, oh, it's actually worse than you think, enemy. I was dead, and Christ made me alive. 
that, that I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So you can talk to me all you want to, but I'm not alive anymore. It's Christ living in me. This life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me, okay? And so part of the reason I tell you how bad I am all the time is it's kind of therapeutic for me. So you can't call me a hypocrite. You can call me a lot of things, but you can't call me a hypocrite because if you're a self-proclaimed hypocrite, that makes you not a hypocrite. You might be crappy, but you're not a hypocrite. You understand what I mean? And so if you struggle with some sin stuff, me too, me too, but that does not disqualify you, not only from being a Christian, but also for being a part of the church. And so he says, so it's, so that he's the, the very least of all the saints. And this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I'm telling you, can I just, a lot of my friends ask me, how do you keep your ego in check? Because you're, you know, the church you serve is one of the fastest growing, literally, in the history of America. It's crazy, right? Welcome. You're part of that craziness. Yeah, woohoo. Awesome. It's exciting. Kind of crushing feeling sometimes, a little, you know, the responsibility. But here's what I would tell you. It's the most humbling thing I've ever been a part of. It is the most humbling thing I have ever been a part of. Here's why. I look at what God's doing in this church, and then I look at my gifts and abilities, and I go, uh, there's a problem here, Houston, okay? I am just an overeducated redneck from Dillon, South Carolina, who has been disqualified from ministry about a bazillion times. And the Bible says, the Bible says that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and I think God was just reading over his own Bible and thought, hey, I need to do that in Jacksonville. Hey, Joby Martin, all right, I think we've got a perfect candidate right here. And so we get invited, this is a crazy thing. Our church isn't even two years old yet. We get invited to speak at church planning conferences now. And I tell them, I'm like, hey, I don't know what we're doing. We didn't even mean to plan a church. It was a total accident. We meet in a Walmart. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And they go, what do you do? And I go, all right, well, here's what we do. You ready? Um, we worship Jesus. We, we teach the Bible. We try to do the stuff Jesus said to do. And we just quit doing the dumb stuff he never said do anything about. You just do that. And then if, if it works, to God be the glory. And if it doesn't work, then go do something else. I don't know. I don't know. But God uses ordinary, uneducated men just like me and like you, men and women, who had been with Jesus. And so Paul is saying the same thing there. He goes, I was the very least of all the saints. And this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to bring to light, this is huge, for everyone. You get this? The gospel is for everyone. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden from the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known. So what, what Paul is saying is here's the role of the church. That the plan, God's plan to reach everyone is to use the church. That's what he's saying. That God's number one plan I mean, as broken as it is, as jacked up as it is, as many bad church experiences as you have had, God says that his plan to reach everyone with the gospel, God's plan is to work through the church so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the authorities in heavenly places, verse 11, which was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is so big. So why are you in a church today? And why, are we, why, did we, why did we plant this ecclesia, this movement of God? Because God says his eternal purposes, here was his plan, that he would reach everyone through the local church. That's crazy, isn't it? That's crazy. In fact, you know what's super duper popular these days? 
I hear this all the time. I hear people say, hey, listen, I love Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I don't need to have a church to be a Christian, which is true. You can, you can surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ and you'll go to heaven one day with or without a church. But to, be, to, but to say you love Jesus and to say that you're a Christian without a church is like having a, being a baseball player without a team. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm really a baseball player. What team do you play for? Well, I don't really have a team. You're just a weird guy in tight pants, okay? You're not. That's, that's kind of what Paul is saying here, sort of. And so um, there are three primary illustrations that the Bible uses to describe the church, okay? One is he calls the church his bride, which means he loves her, he's redeeming her, he's pursuing her, and he's in a covenant relationship with her. That's us, okay? Jesus loves us that way. Another, another um, example is the family. He calls, calls the church the family. And that's why we say here at the Church 1122, hey, listen, if, you, if you're here, if you would say, hey, that's my church, then, then you're a part of our family, one big dysfunctional family. And just like if, you've, if you have a, a family reunion and you were to go to that and there's some people in your family and you're like, I can't believe they were in the family. You know, that kind of weird uncle with the bad breath, right? And you're like, oh, that's it. He's in the family. We've got the same genes. Yeah, they're in the family. Even if they don't contribute much to the family or even if they're, you know, you're kind of embarrassed by them, whatever. They are in the family and you love them because they're family. Well, that's how we are. Right? And if you were thinking about your family, we don't have anybody in our family like this. <laughs> I've got really bad news for you, okay? You're the person your family members are praying for. All right, so that's all right. Sorry. Right. You're still in the family, even with your weirdness. So you got, you got um, the family, you, you got the bride, and then you got the body. Particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the church is described as the body. Jesus is the head. And all of us make up different members or, or parts of the body. Now, when people say things like, I don't, have to be a, uh, I don't have to be a part of a church or connected to a church to have a relationship with Jesus. Well, actually, according to the Bible, that's just, it's really silly. It would be sort of like this. If you were walking out to your car today after the service and there was a foot, just a foot, by your car, nothing else, just a foot, you would not walk up to that foot and we'd be like, well, that's fine foot. You're a very nice foot. No, who, who am I to tell you you should be a part of a body? If you just want to be a foot all by yourself, then, you know, then whatever. Bless your ministry. Be a foot. No. If you walked up and there was just a foot. Now, even a foot connected isn't that awesome, all right? So a disconnected foot from the body, your first thought would be this. Something has gone horribly wrong. I don't know what it is, but this is not the plan. And not only is this bad for the foot, but there's a body, and it's bad for the body also. Do you realize there are some people that are not connected to our church yet, and they're supposed to be. They are. In God's sovereign plan for them, they will be connected to our church. And so it's bad for the foot. It's also bad for the body. And the future of the foot, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not a doctor, all right? But the future of the foot, not good. It's not going to go well for the foot. What is the foot going to do? Well, separated feet from the body, here's what they do. They're going to stink. They already smell not awesome when they're attached and everything's going well, okay? So, so... They're going to stink, they're going to rot, they're going to shrivel up, they're going to die. And fundamentally, every single one of us would look at a severed foot apart from a body and go, that is just gross. Total gross, right? I think, I think that the Christian that is not attached to the body, not attached to the body, is like the severed foot. Something's gone wrong, it's not the plan. It's not part of God's eternal purpose for you. Um, your relationship with, with Christ, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard if you're not in authentic community with other believers that are helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so probably your faith is going to shrivel up. The future's not looking bright. And I think from heaven's perspective, they look at you and they go, that's just gross. Okay? That's what it looks like. And so... 
Paul here is saying that God's plan for everyone who would love Jesus, his eternal purpose is that we would be connected into the body of Christ, which is known as the church. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You know what this means? That when Christ died on the cross, that there was an earthquake in Jerusalem. And there was a curtain that used to separate the Holy of Holies from the regular people like us. And that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. And we, you and me, by the blood of Jesus, have an all-access pass to God the Father. Even God, King, Sovereign God, sitting on His throne. And we, like His children, with boldness and humility, just get to walk into the throne room whenever we want. You know why? Because, get ready for this, especially if you're Catholic. The book of Peter says this, that you and I... If you, know, if you love Jesus, that you and I, we are a royal priesthood, all right? That you're a priest. So you didn't even know that, did you? Yeah, you're a priest. And what that means is that you have access to God because Jesus is your great high priest. That you don't have to get me to pray for you. Now, I do pray for you, but I'm just joining you in praying for you. That, that, that I'm, that there's nothing special about, about, about me, like I'm somehow closer to God than you, but that we all have access. And a part of the way you know this is by being connected into the local church. And so he says, in whom we have boldness to access with confidence through our faith in him. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And now what's going to happen is Paul is going to pray for this church he planted, ready? And he's going to pray four things. These are important because in this prayer, he lets us know the purpose and the plan of the local church. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And here's what I'm, I'm praying for you guys. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. First of all, he's saying, I'm praying that you would join the family that you would become a part of this local family. So in our context, that you could become a part of the, the family of the Church of 1122. And let me just say this. You don't have to do anything to be in the family. If you show up here, it's like, you know, there, if, if there's, there's kids in your neighborhood and, and if they're, they eat at your house for dinner every night, you know how you just treat them like family? That's how this is. If you're just going to show up here every single week and say, hey, you know what, this is my church, this is where I worship, this is where I'm making friendships. If you don't do anything else, then welcome, welcome. You can be a part of the family. And in fact, even if you don't believe what we believe, that's okay. I would like for you to feel like you belong even before you believe. Even before you believe that you, you can be a part of this big dysfunctional family called the Church of 1122. So, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is big. So why would you join this family? Why would you be a part of this family? Here's why. Now, if you're honest, and I know this is church, there's no place for that, but just be real for a second, okay? Again, the fake you's doing just fine, you look awesome. Fake you's fine. But the real you, down deep in your soul, do you need to be strengthened? I mean, you need some peace? Things getting tough? Do you feel like you're being defined by the outside in instead of from the inside out? Well, here's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place with arms wide open, welcomes you in, accepts you in, whoever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Come on, be in the family. Because you got problems? Me too, okay? Me too. Well, come on in and be in the family. And then once you get in the family, by the power of what God does in us and through us and to us, that you could be strengthened. That Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Does that sound like you? And I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. You need rest for your soul? Then you're supposed to get that 
in the church, not just out there on your own somewhere. So, so you, you get strength through his spirit in your inner being, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you get to the place where you surrender your life to the lordship of Christ, that you begin to put your faith in him instead of in yourself, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know what that means? That after you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, that, that over time you become more and more and more like Him. But the point of the church is not just that you would believe in Jesus, but you would abide in Him, get close to Him, become more and more and more like Him. That you would grow in your maturity with Jesus. The, the Bible word there is sanctification. That you would become more and more and more like Him over time. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's right. But the closer you stuck with Jesus in his church family, then the more and more and more that you would become like him. Verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know what that means? That God's plan and eternal purpose is to flex through the church. And guess what he says? He's saying, all right, God gets the glory. We don't get the glory. And here's what God wants to do. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Can I just tell you, in our almost two years in existence as the church of 1122, God has already done far more than I ever imagined or ever thought. Okay? I'm telling you, two years ago when I was being like, all right, God, it sure would be awesome if people showed up. That would be great. I mean, really. Because, you know, I mean, I, I was always nervous that we'd open the door and it'd just be me and my family and the staff we paid to be here. You know what I mean? That, that kind of scared me a little. And God has already done some amazing things here. And I just got to tell you, I know I'm biased. I know I'm biased like crazy. But I love our church. I love our church. I love who we are. I love what we do. I love there's not a lot of flash here that we just glorify God and worship and word. I love that we can just teach through books of the Bible, you know, and and you guys receive it. I love so much of what God is doing in this place. You know, since we opened the doors, 1,622 people have publicly professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. That's the coolest thing in the world. And I know we have skeptics, you know, I've told you this before. Skeptics are like, how do you know that 1,600 people have actually become Christians? And I always tell the skeptics, here's how I know. I don't know, but if you make it to heaven, I'll introduce you to them. Okay, that's, that's what I'll do, all right? That we've baptized, I don't know how many hundreds of people. I could look it up, but I don't know. Can I tell you, one of my favorite things in the world is that one of the people that we baptized was Joseph Perry Martin IV, my son, my very own son, right here in this spot, publicly professed Jesus Christ as Lord. I couldn't do it without you. I love this church. I love what's happening in marriages. I love that next week our elementary age kids will be on mission all over this place. I love that this isn't like a consumeristic kind of church where you come in with a bunch of demands. Hey, listen, the music will be this, and I want a laser light show that spells out Jesus in the fog, and I want the sermons to be 22 minutes long, and please don't make me uncomfortable by calling me a wretched, black-hearted sinner every week. Just tell me how to live a better life. We don't do any of that stuff, all right? And if, and if other churches do it, whatever. That's just not how we do it. We just glorify God in worship and in word, and I love it. Um, I, love, I love the needs board that we have out here. That was just an idea from Acts chapter 2, that they had everything in common, or Acts chapter 4, they had everything in common, and they met one another's needs. And so we thought, all right, I can't meet everybody's needs, so we did the needs board. And if you have a need, you put it up there, and you read it, and then you meet each other's needs. That's what we do. We don't have to have a committee meeting on it. A bishop doesn't have to vote or anoint it, any of that kind of stuff. We just try to do church the way the Bible says to do church. I love that. 
I love our building. I love that we meet in a Walmart. I really, really do. Who knew Sam Walton would be one of the greatest church planners of all time? I love that. I love that we have a 50-foot cross out front. I was told by all the church growth experts, hide the religious uh, uh, symbolism. And I said, okay. And I put the 50-foot cross, steel cross, right out front, okay? And, And I'm just telling you, it's like, this is my opinion, it's like the middle finger to the big church growth movement, okay? Like... And I know I shouldn't equate the middle finger to the cross, but it's what it is, okay? It's like, come to Jesus. That's what all we're trying to do. Teach the Bible, point people to Jesus. That's all we try to do here, love each other, okay? And so I love that. I, again, I love that we meet in a Walmart. I love, love, love that this area right here 10 years ago was ladies' accessories. I love that, okay? A bunch of insecure women that were in, right, standing right here 10 years ago. Right now, 10 years ago, they were standing right here, and they were lost and empty, and they thought a cheap plastic Walmart necklace was going to fully finalize their soul. They were going to be awesome after they got this bracelet and these earrings, okay? And it was just nothingness. And now the life-changing, life-giving gospel comes out from the same place that plastic junk used to come out of. And people are changed forever and ever. I love, love, love that. Now, I don't want to be the limiting factor on what God can do in this church. And sometimes I think our dreams and our hopes and our desires are too small for what God actually wants to do. I mean, let's just be honest. Look around. Did you ever expect it to even go this well? Well, God is obviously up to something here And I can tell you in the future some things I'm praying for that I want God to do. I would like it if the majority, listen now, the majority of the people that attend on the weekend were actually in disciple groups, studying their Bible, sharing lives and and food together. That's what I would hope, that you were connected in authentic community together. Um, I would love... I would love that on the other end of our parking lot down there in the old Winn-Dixie that in a few years that there would be a community transformation center that would just revolutionize this community. That in a few years, if you were to ask people, what do you think when you think of the Church of Love 22? They would go, well, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I'll tell you this, they sure do help families in our community. And that, it would, that, that people would be, they, they would love, love, love to see, if they saw a COE22 sticker, they would equate that with, man, they love our community. I don't even know if I believe what they believe, but that's okay. I like what they're doing. You know what else I'm praying for? Think of the person. Think of the person that is the most impossible to become a Christian in your life. Think of the ones you've invited 100 million times and they say no every time. Think of the one you've been praying for like crazy. Think of the one that that you try to tell them about Jesus and they've got 15 reasons why they don't believe in a YouTube clip that just, you know, debunks everything we, we live for. All right? I would love to see that person, your friend, your parents, your family member, surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ in this place and stand either in a dunk tank right here or in the big Atlantic dunk tank out there and proclaim Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And you freak out and be like, God, you did it. You still save. I believe he can do that and will do that this next year. I'd like to see Church of 1122 campuses all over Jacksonville. Not, not because we're trying to be the biggest church in town. We're not the biggest. We're not the best. None of that. But, that. but that we would take the gospel to all of your neighborhoods. You know why? Just for one reason. So that every person in Jacksonville could have the opportunity, not to be told what to believe, but that they could actually encounter the real Jesus. They could hear the real gospel. Not this kind of wussified, wimpy Jesus that people have been peddling for the last few decades, but the actual warrior king that said, I will conquer sin and death. Don't believe me? Watch. I'll go first, and then I'll come back and say, all right, what do you think? You want to follow me? And then we can introduce people to that Jesus all over the city and then just watch what God is going to do. Do you want to be a part of something like that? If so, just sit quietly. No, I'm just kidding. If so, then say amen or something, all right? Come on, i got to take a breath. 
<laughs> so that's his plan. That's his plan. That's his purpose through the church, through the church. We want to be that kind of church. Now, if you go to chapter 4, verse 1, this is where Ephesians shifts gears. The first three chapters are about the gospel. Kind of the gospel from a cosmic view is chapter 1. The gospel individually in chapter 2 is about you were dead in your transgressions. Now you've been made alive with Christ. In chapter 3, God's eternal purpose and plan was to to share the gospel through the church. And then in chapter 4, it's going to talk about the implications of the gospel. And for the rest of the book, in, in your church, in your family, at work, with your kids and even in your prayer life. And so chapter 4, verse 1 is kind of the pivotal verse. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now here's the pivotal verse. It's that, 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 that Paul's saying, okay, so if you believe this gospel, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, then your life should look like it. Now here's the point. Now this is huge, huge, huge. Okay, this is, this is big. Don't miss this. Is that you got to get your identity in Christ right first. And when you get your identity right, then your activity will follow your identity. And if you reverse those, that's not the gospel at all. But if you grew up in the South, if you grew up around church in the South, then, then probably somehow what you heard was this, that you've got to get your activity right so that God will love you enough to be able to identify you as a Christian. That, that's the opposite of the gospel. That's you trying to save you. You can't save you. It goes the other way. It's, it's about identity in Christ. If you are in Christ, then act like it. Then be free to walk in, in the freedom that he purchased for you. And so that's why he says, he says, I urge you to walk. That's present tense. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's past tense. In other words, your current way you live is a result of something that happened in the past. And what happened in the past is Christ died on the cross for your sins and he was resurrected. If you quit trusting in yourself as your Lord and you trust in what he did for you on the cross, then you can walk like that and act like that. And then the first place he's going to talk about how you walk out your Christian faith is in the local church. That God's plan for your life, if you are a Christian, is to be connected into this body. Not, maybe not this particular body, but connected into a local church body. And if you're going to do that, verse 2, here's how we treat one another. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's, that should describe if any person is brave enough to get up on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Thursday night or whenever, and they would come to this local expression of the body of Christ. And they would find a parking spot and walk through the door that everywhere, from the people that greet them in the parking lot to the welcome desk, the connect center, to the preacher, to the singers, to every single person... That, that all we would do is we would treat people with great humility and great gentleness and with patience, with great patience. Like if you've got this addiction and you just, it's just kicking your butt, that we would be patient with you like, like Christ has been patient with us. And that we would bear with one another in love, that that's how we are supposed to treat one another. And eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the reason that we would have peace with each other is because God in Christ Jesus gave us peace with us and him. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. And just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The key word there is one. That we have one thing in common. If you're, if you're going to be a part of the church of 1122... If you want to be a covenant member, there's only one thing that we need to have in common, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. 
Everything else can be different. Everything else can be different. And the truth is, we are different. Because we're a movement for all people, all kind of people come here, all right? And, and in fact, we can agree on very little. Like if we all got into my truck after the service and said, where do you want to go to eat? There's no way we could all agree on it. I've got four people in my family with all the same last name, and we can't agree on where we should eat after church, okay? It's a train wreck every week. But the one thing that we have in common, it's not our political affiliation, okay? We've got uh, Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and all those other ones that I don't even know that you're never going to win, but that'd be one of those. That's fine. It's fine. Okay? Whatever. Um, We don't all come from the same socioeconomic classes. I can't even get you to like the right college football team, okay? You got your team, and I'm with God's team, and you can be wrong, and I, whatever, okay? But that's fine, that's fine. You can like whoever you like, and and you can still be one. The one thing that we have in common, the one, 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 he says it over and over and over here, is Jesus. And it's Jesus, when we surrender to Jesus, that's what makes you a part of this big dysfunctional family. This big old dysfunctional family. And then it says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's quoting the Bible, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Here's all that means. That Jesus will go wherever it takes to reach you for his sake. That's what it means. Are you far from him? He'll come get you. Some, some of you, he's saved out of total depravity and a drunken stupor. Praise God. Some of you, he saved out of Sunday school. And you needed him. Y'all both need him the same. That we're not just mistakers in need of a life coach, but we're sinners in need of a Savior. And the good thing is, is you didn't go looking for him. He came after you, and he would go wherever, wherever, wherever it took. Verse 11. And he gave, this is how, after he saves us and calls us together in one church, here's how he sets it up. And Jesus gave, and he, and he gave it to the church. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That's like the leadership of the church, okay? And I don't have time to unpack what all that means, but there's just different positions here at the church. Verse 12, and here's why. Here's why he set it up this way. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body. Do you know that my job as the lead pastor of this church and one of the elders of this church, here's what my job is. My job is to assemble, I assembled a group of elders, all right? Assembled a group of deacons to be the the servants here at our church. Assembled a group of staff people to actually serve you and work for you. And our job as pastors and elders and staff is not to do the ministry, we do ministry, but is to equip you, the saints, to do ministry. That's our job. That once you discover your relationship with Jesus Christ, I got good news. You get a gift. You get at least one spiritual gift. Every Christian has at least one gift. No Christians have all the gifts. So we need each other in one big body to serve one another and to take the gospel to everyone. And so our job is to help you discover, not only discover that you can be saved, that God doesn't hate you, he loves you, that you can surrender your life to Jesus, but also discover your spiritual gifts and discover your talents and how he's wired you and put you together and then unleash you, equip you and unleash you to do the ministry that God has created, that he has anointed and appointed you to do. And we need all of us working together to do what Christ has established for this church to do. And that's not just about organizational health. It's actually about you and your own maturity and you growing to be more and more like Christ. So he says, I've given all these different positions to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, when God saved you, he has in mind what he wants you to grow up into. And he's going to put you into a church serving and giving and receiving and doing all those things for your own maturity. Look here, verse 14. So that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, that's all of us together, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, the point of the church is not just growing the church. The point of the church is growing you for the glory of Jesus. And so, when you meet Jesus, you... You're adopted into his family, and then you're a baby Christian, okay? And then the point is that you're in this safe environment where you can grow and grow and become more and more like him. And as you begin to discover what you were created to do, then it's not about you anymore. I don't know if you've been around babies very much, all right? But they're very selfish. They're very, very selfish. And many, many churches are just filled with people that never grow up in their faith. All right, especially in the South, especially in Jacksonville, all right? And then a lot of people show up at our church with a Bible in one hand and a diaper on and an umbilical cord in the other, all right? Big, fat, baby Christian, feed me, feed me. They're just, where do I plug in? I'm never going to do anything. Just feed me, feed me. I'm going to poo and cry. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to make a mess, and I'm going to cry about it, all right? Some people do that. That's not the intention. The intention is, is that you would grow up, that you would begin to serve. You'd begin to move from just being a part of the family to, to taking some responsibility in the family. So, so here's the point. The point is this. That the church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're ready to move from a receiver to an owner of that mission and vision, then you're ready to become a covenant member of the church of 1122. It's okay to be a receiver, okay? It's totally okay to be a receiver. That, that as long as you want, you can show up here. We'll never ask you to do anything. You can just sit there. Actually, I'll tell you to do all kinds of stuff. But, but you can be a part of the family without ever becoming a covenant member. But there's some of you in the room, and you're ready to like take that next step, kind of grow up in your faith, and begin to take some ownership, to take some ownership of the mission and the vision of this church. You're the kind of person that says, you know what? Yeah, I want to help you make sure this is a church. And it always stays a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, then I would like to invite you to become a covenant member of our church. A covenant is not a contract. It's a covenant. As a covenant member, you'd say, here's what I promise to do, that I'm an owner of the mission, vision, and values, right? And we use the word member, not like a country club member, but a covenant member, like, the, like a member of a family or the member of a body. And so here's, here's what a covenant member is not. Ready? A covenant member is not perfect people that don't struggle with any sin. Right? Because if that's the case, I can't be a member of my own church. You get it? Again, any of you struggle with sin stuff? Raise your hands if you do. All right? All right, good. Me too. Me too. Me too. It's not for perfect people. It's actually, covenant membership is for people that realize that they're imperfect. And they can't just do better and try harder, but we need Jesus because we're not perfect. Let me assure you this. This is not a perfect church. This is not a perfect church. This is, and in fact, if you find a perfect church, don't ever join it because you will jack it all up, okay? Because you are not perfect. But this might be the perfect church for you because it's a movement for all kind of people to discover and deepen a relationship with Christ. So it's not about perfect people. It's not only for mature Christians. 
So if you, if you want to be a covenant member, it's more about where you're going than where you've been. If you are continuously maturing in your relationship with Jesus, you want to be more and more like him, then, then guess what? You'd be a great covenant member. And it's not about perks and privileges. In fact, you get no privileges from being a covenant member here at our church. You only get responsibility. So this is not like your country club membership, all right? And I'm not busting on your country club membership. Ask me to go with you. I'll eat your $9 hamburger. I'll play golf with you on your dime. I'll swim in your country club pool. No problem, all right? But even when I'm a guest with you at your country club, I take no responsibility for the mission, vision, and values of that country club. If I see a towel by the pool, I think, well, someone should pick that up. But not me. I'm a guest today. And I just, right? That's fine. If you're a member, you pay for that. You should. Be as hoity-toity as you want at your country club. That's great. That's great. You paid a lot of money to walk by that towel. But here at the church, here at the church, covenant members cannot walk by a piece of trash. You know why? Because it's our church. You're taking responsibility to help make sure that all people everywhere that would walk in these doors would hear the gospel and they would be unencumbered. You don't get special parking. Well, you kind of do, but it's always the farthest away. You drive in with your kids and they're like, Mom, why are we parking on the other side of Winn-Dixie? There's a lot of slots open here, you know? And you go, well, here's the thing. We're covenant members of this church. So we're trying to leave all the best parking spots for the guests. So that they can, sometimes, you know what people need to meet Jesus? The first thing they need is a parking spot. That's the first thing they need. And you're saying, I'm trying to give up as many as I can. That's what it means. It's only responsibilities. You get no perks and privileges. Here's what a covenant member is. It's just for people that love Jesus and they want to see other people love Jesus. That's what it is. You know, God wired us so that when we experience something good, we like to tell people about it. You see a movie, you tell people about it. You eat at a good restaurant, you tell people about it. If Jesus has changed your life and you love him, then you just want other people to know about it. So that's what covenant membership is for. So people that love Jesus and they want to see other people love Jesus through this church because they love what God is doing here at this church. Now, we do things different here at this church than a lot of other churches do. That's cool. It's fine, okay? God uses all kind of different churches to reach all kind of different people. Got it? So our church is not better than any other church. It's really not. Any church that preaches the authority of the Bible and points people to Jesus is a great church church. But here at this church, we just do it this way, okay? We're going to be authentic. We're going to talk about real issues. We're going to use real language. We're going to talk about real life because the fake you is doing just fine. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to change the real you. If you find me to be offensive, then it's going to get worse, probably not better because I just get more and more comfortable and it really gets worse. So if you need a church, you know, with choir and organ, then awesome. You should, you should join that church. That's great. But this is how we do what we do and why we do what we do because all we want to do is worship Jesus, teach the Bible, point people to him, do the stuff he said to do and quit doing the dumb stuff he never said anything about. And so the way, the way we do church here, if you're going to be a covenant member, that just means that you worship here. And the way we, we don't sing cover songs, we just we sing songs to Jesus. That's what we do. We respond to him by singing songs about how good and great he is. And how amazing his grace is. We do it over and over and over and over. And we do it a bit passionately, all right? And so if you think it's weird, it is weird. People with their hands up and they're crying, you're like, this is weird. It's totally weird. But the whole Christianity thing is weird. Think about it. Two naked people in a garden, talked to about a snake, get kicked out of the garden for hundreds of years, prophets saying a day is coming. And then Jesus shows up, dies on a cross, resurrected, floats into heaven and says, one day I'll be back on a horse to get you. That's what we believe. People are like, seriously, that's what you believe? Uh Uh-huh. Want to come? I mean, that's it. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, 
But, but, look around the room. He's transformed so many of our lives. And what this church is, is that we all gather together to introduce other people to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, it, it just means that you worship here. It means that you're connected in discipleship relationships. That's all. It doesn't even have to be one of our disciple groups. We're just trying to make it easy for you. But it's not just about being a convert and an attender. But it's actually growing in your relationship. And Bible study is a big part of that. Um, it's about <laughs> being a covenant member. It's a, it, it means that, that you're actually going to serve. That you're going to serve. That you're going to leverage the gifts and the talents and the time that God has given you. And you're going to leverage them towards helping other people meet Jesus. Just like you met Jesus. That's all it is. And even if it's not serving at our church, that doesn't really matter. As long as you're serving some kind of kingdom-minded thing so that other people can meet Jesus. It's also being a covenant member says, I'm taking what's often the most important thing in my life, which is my finances, and I'm going to aim them at Jesus. Now, there's not any like set number or anything like that, but it's hard to say you're, not, you're all in and then not be in financially too because Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so all we're saying is that if you've given your heart to Jesus and you want to be a covenant member of this church, that you would help us, you would invest in what God is doing here. And what's close to the heart of God is that all people could discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that we would help take care of the least of these in our world. And so that's what we do as a church. Um, and, and again, I just want to say that um, th- this isn't the best church. This is not the best church in town. It's definitely not. There's all kind of different churches, and it takes all kind of different churches to reach all kind of different people. But if you say, hey, look, I want to help you and the staff and the elders and the deacons. I want to help y'all and the, and the current covenant members. I want to help become an owner, take some responsibility so that this is always a place where all kind of people could discover a relationship with Jesus for the very first time and then begin to deepen and grow in that relationship with Jesus. I, I'm, willing, I'm, I'm ready to move from being a receiver to, a, to an owner of that, to take responsibility, to serve, to get plugged in, to have relationships, all those kinds of things then covenant membership is for you. And here's why. Um, I've shared this story. I think I shared it last year, and I hope to, if I can remember, share it every year as long as I get to preach. Because there's two major failures in my life that have heavily shaped the church of 1122, the values and what we do as a church. One was on the mission field in Africa. I, I, um, I chose to take care of my own wants instead of meet the needs of a dying little boy in Kenya. And it shaped me forever, and it haunts me forever, and it's why we do Compassion now. It just is, okay? And the other was this. Um, When I was 21 years old, I was living in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Because in the summer, if you're from Dillon, nobody ever goes back to Dillon because, you know, the best thing that ever came out of Dillon was I-95. So you just skip Dillon and go to the beach. So I was at the beach, and I had three jobs at the beach in North Myrtle. Um, I, was, I waited tables at Barefoot Landing. I was a youth pastor at a little First Baptist Church in a little tobacco farm in town, about 25 minutes inside of Myrtle Beach. And I worked at World Gym. So every morning at 6 a.m., I would get up and go to the gym, open it up, and, you know, I was like the, whatever, manager and the shake maker, you know, make the, everybody's little protein shakes after they worked out. And that's what I did. And I had three jobs because I was trying to be a grown man and didn't want to live with my mom. Anyway, it's a different sermon. So what the owner of the World Gym, he was brilliant. Because right across the street from the World's Gym was the Crazy Horse Strip Club. And so he went over to the, to the Crazy Horse Strip Club, and he told the dancers there, hey, girls, congratulations, free membership at the World's Gym. And so anytime you want, you can come in here and train. So every morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, about, I don't know, a dozen strippers would come into our gym. And five seconds later, about 500 dudes would come right in after them, all right? <laughs> and the dudes are all paying customers, and so you see how that worked. Okay, so... Um, at that point, I was still, I was in seminary. I was a youth pastor on staff at a church. 
and uh, working the front desk up there. And, um, and so what began to happen, though, as the days became weeks and I got to talk to these girls, they began to move from those strippers to my friends. I mean, they would come after their workout and they would sit at the counter and I would make protein shakes for them and we would just sit there and chat. And quite honestly, they didn't have a category for me. They didn't know what to do with me. I was a 21-year-old Christian going into the ministry, and I worked out and did the bodybuilding thing and all that kind of stuff, but they just didn't have a category. They couldn't understand why I wouldn't party with them. They would say, come by and see us at the crazy horse. Yeah, probably not going to, but you can come by and see me at church. You know, we'd have those conversations. And so over and over and over and over, I would try to point them to Jesus. And again, I was trying to point them to identity, not activity. Now, we talked about their activity, but, but mostly I was trying to just point them to surrender to Jesus. Now, here's what I found out. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a great, you know, depth of knowledge of strippers, but these girls, primarily, all of them had two names. And about three or four weeks into it, they would be, I'd be like, oh, so your name's Beth. Oh, it's not Destiny. Oh, there you go. Okay, so they had two names. And if your name's Destiny, I'm sorry. All right, but you have a stripper name. So whatever. Okay, so they tell you that. It's terrible, isn't it? Okay. They almost all had children. Almost all had children. And none of them wanted their kids to know what they did. Almost every one of them had to drink something or take something before they danced. All of them. Because they just... And not one of them, this was their life plan. None of them had decided, like when they were a 13-year-old little girl, ooh, when I'm 19, I'm going to strip. None of them, none of them. They were all ashamed of it, okay? And they weren't going to do it for long. But they'd already done it way longer than they'd ever intended. That was it. And so as I got to try to point him to Jesus, point him to Jesus, one day towards the end of the summer... This one, she says to me, her name's Sonny, and Sonny says to me, um, hey, I tell you what, I've been thinking about this a lot, and you know, you said, we invited you to the crazy horse, but we, you wouldn't go, um, but I tell you what, I'll go to church with you, that's what Sonny tells me, and I remember thinking, uh-oh, how do you uninvite somebody to church, <laughs> you know, and big reason is I was thinking, you, you probably don't want to go to my church. Like, first bad, you know, they are mad at me because I don't wear a tie every week. You know what I'm saying? My doctors don't have enough pleats. Like, that's kind of where the church that I was the youth pastor at. And, but I didn't, know, I didn't know how to uninvite her. And so she said, and not only that, uh, I'll drive. Okay, great. So I told her, I've got to leave really early to get there because, uh, you know, I'm on staff and, and I'll do the announcements or whatever. And so she's like, oh, no problem. I'll pick you up. And so sure enough, Sunday morning, I walk out of my little apartment, and there she is in a convertible white Corvette. And I thought, sweet, we'll slide right under the radar in the <laughs> convertible white Corvette. So I drove 25 miles, got there in eight minutes, I think. So we park, we walk in the place, and, and Sonny shows up for church. And I'm telling you, she put on her church clothes, but, I mean, I'll just tell you, she just looked like a stripper in a sundress. And she had heavily invested into her dancing career. You tracking with where I'm going there, okay? And so... Um, and she had these high heels, like super high heels and with the goldfish in them kind of thing. You know, it was crazy. So we go, we drop her kid off. The looks, the stares, it all begins. We go, we sit down. People walk in. Nobody sits with her. Nobody sits near her. I stand up to do announcements. I can see the whispers. I can see the pointing. It's not awesome. And she's smart. She knows what's going on. And so I stand up, welcome to the church and whatever, and sit down with her. The pastor preaches. This is a Baptist church. So I know he's preached on the Bible. He probably preached on the grace of God. And then right after the service was over, the deacons, see the deacon in that church meant power broker. The deacon in our church here means servant. And so the deacons had a deacons meeting and I got invited to my very first deacons meeting. And they said, who is that you brought with you? And I said, well, she's a friend of mine from the gym in Myrtle Beach, you know, and I invited her to the church. And, she, and they just told me. They just said, 
we don't want her kind here in our church. And here's, what the, here's why, here's why. Because it's not a good example for our daughters. It's not a good example, you know, if she didn't have enough clothes to wear, don't let her come here. Just over and over and over. And I wish, this is why I say it, it bothers me to this day. I wish that I would have stood up with the confidence of the gospel and said, how dare you? Did Christ die for all people? But I was afraid. I was afraid. I was more concerned about my career. I was more concerned about what those deacons would say about me and make sure that I didn't get fired from that church. I was more concerned about the applause of man than what was important to God in that moment. And I walked out to the car, and all the cars had left the parking lot, and there's Sonny in her, in her convertible Corvette and her little daughter. And she's got her sunglasses on and tears streaming down her face. And she said, they met about me, didn't they? And I lied. Oh, no, 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 no. There's some other stuff that we had to talk about. We get in the car. We're driving back. It's super awkward. She won't look at me. And so I'm just trying to make conversation. And I just say, so what would you think of church? And she says, I've never felt more degraded in my entire life. That's what she said. I've never felt more degraded in my entire life. Now, check this out. The night before, she's naked on a pole for a dollar. And in church, in church, the place that is supposed to be the place on earth that shows the world what Jesus is like. And you know what that place did? That place confirmed in her every suspicion that she had, that she wasn't good enough to be a Christian. And so, on the way home, I lied. All the way home, no, 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 you didn't get treated that way, but she was right and I was wrong. And I wish the story had a happy ending. It doesn't. It doesn't. She started working out at a different time. We never talked again. She would never go to church. As far as I know, that was her last church experience. And so when we planted this place, guess what? I didn't want that kind of church. I want a kind of church that's for all people. Because here's the thing, is that you're not supposed to go to church to get beaten up, battered, and bruised. That Jesus was beaten up, battered, and bruised so that you could know him and you could experience him, him best actually in the church, in this movement that is for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you... If you want to join that kind of church, if you want to help me make sure that this is that kind of place for all people, for all people, always, then go online today, coe22.com slash covenant membership, and you'll sign up, and you'll go to a class, and you'll sit down with an affirmation leader, an affirmation leader, somebody that goes, way to go! That's what they're going to do with you. Make sure you have all your questions answered, and that you can join me, join me in God's eternal purpose for his church. Hey, we're going to close with communion today. It means common union. Our common union is in Christ. In your seat backs in front of you, if you'll just grab the cup, you might have to fish around a little bit. If you're on the front row, so they'll pass you one. You'll reach down and you'll grab this. And then what I want you to do, and this is a little bit different, is I want you to serve communion today. Okay? That's what you're going to do. After you get your cup, then I want you to look at your neighbor and you, I want you to Serve them communion. Here's all you got to say. And remember, you're a priest, all right? So here you go. I just ordained you. You're a priest. And so you take this, and you give it to your neighbor, and you simply say this. This is for you. This is for you. Go ahead. Ready to go. Give it to your neighbor. Say, this is for you. Because when Jesus died on the cross, that was for them. And then once you've served communion, I want you to open up the top and take out the little wafer. And Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me and eat. And then open the juice part. And Jesus held up the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus poured out his blood, it counted for you. And as often as you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me.
Oh, if you would, please stand as we pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that this is the Lord's table. It's in my table. So I don't get to determine who is and is not invited to the Lord's table. You do, because you're the Lord. So God, I pray that we, this church, would have this communion, this common union in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I thank you for your broken body. I thank you for your shed blood that makes all of us whole, regardless of who we are or where we've been. God, on behalf of your bride, I apologize to the people in this room who have ever been beaten up, broken, or abused by the church. Lord, I pray that this church would never beat up, bruise, or break anybody, but we would only point people to our resurrected Savior who was beaten up, broken, and abused for us. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey, we respond. Some of you may need to come to the altar. Some of you may need to surrender your life to Christ. If you do that, just walk to the Connect Center and tell somebody you just received Jesus. Um, We're going to sing all together. And if you're a regular here, we bring our tithes and offerings to the giving boxes around the room. Let us respond.